0: Welcome back to We Are Here, a Keystone Edge podcast starring Pennsylvanians making their mark. I'm your host, Lee Stabert. This series has been created in partnership with PA Humanities, an organization dedicated to building community and sparking change. We hope these conversations will do the same. What do you think of when you think of the library? Is it being a child, filling your arms with stacks of books that reached past your chin? Is it visiting a grand place, like the main branch of the Philadelphia Public Library, to do your first real research? Yes, kids, research used to, and still can, go beyond Google. Or is it eagerly attending weekly story time with a young child, happy to be out of the house and among fellow soldiers in the parenting trenches? But as we all know, the world is changing, so libraries are changing too. They are trying to meet people where they are now. Whether it's organizing board game nights, loaning out Wi-Fi hotspots, or encouraging conversation, no need to whisper, Pennsylvania's libraries and the people who work there are ready for what's coming next.
1: So I'm Linda Cappozello, Director of Advancement and Communications for Reading Public Library. Reading Public Library is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. It serves the city of Reading, which is a population of about 80,000 people. We have a very diverse and dynamic population and um, our physical structure is a main library in three branches that serve every neighborhood throughout our city.
2: Hi, my name is John Pappas. I'm the reference librarian at the Ludington Library of the Lower Marion Library System. Uh, We're on the main line in Bryn Mawr, just outside of Philadelphia.
0: Let's start big picture. How has the role of a library changed? I know that's a big question, but specifically let's start with just we live in an increasingly digital age. So how does a place that traditionally lent out physical objects adapt to a media consumption that is increasingly digital?
1: The first 18 months of COVID, our e-media circulation increased by about 65%. And I think that's probably the case in Most libraries, it's a more expensive way to get that information into people's hands, um, but we managed to do so. So I don't think that the the idea of free books and movies and entertainment changes that much, even though the method might change. So I think that's one of the ways that we stay relevant. And I certainly think that the notion of libraries as uh, information hubs become even more important in, in today 's society,
2: I think it was interesting, not just how adaptable libraries are, right when the pandemic hit, we got hot spots circulating, we figured out contactless delivery, we figured out how to work with the smaller staff like we adapted to the best of our ability, but beyond that, I think the public adapts to what they need, right Their changes are constantly in flux like suddenly. Digital media was at the forefront because the library buildings were for some amount shut down. So we would just get call after call after call about how to use this, how to get started with this, right? So suddenly a telephone reference increased a, a huge amount where like most of my day was talking to people just getting them started because now now this is really needed. Now this is really relevant to them. I I like seeing the libraries adapting along with the community and community sort of adapting what they expect and need from the libraries.
0: That sort of goes into my next question, which is, you know, in this moment, I hate to say post-pandemic, but we're certainly coming out of the (laughs) acute phase of the pandemic. You know, this week, what are the most common reasons that someone walks through the door of your library? What does that population look like?
2: We get a variety of people, right? Like we're right by a lot of college campuses, so we get a lot of college students. We get a lot of locals. Uh, we get a lot of people from Philadelphia. Like we get a lot of people coming in through our doors, and there's a ton of different needs. But I think mostly it seems, especially like after lockdown, post-pandemic, however you want to put it, like it's space, right? People are trying to figure out space. They're trying to figure out how to how to work in a new sort of hybrid fashion, right? They they need quiet spaces. They need spaces outside of their home. They need that like third space to sort of be in. That's usually what people are requesting. They want to know where they can sit. It can be quiet and they can work.
1: I think that it's interesting because I would agree absolutely with John. Certainly we're seeing that people looking for traditional materials and, and, and books and, and things of that sort um, is in, uh, that's increasing. We were happy to introduce our children's programming in person this summer. And so we had a very vibrant space this summer. But I do think that we very intentionally have encouraged and promoted the need for for both socialization and collaboration. As John suggested, bringing people together in the spaces they need. We um, are continuing to build high-tech glass-enclosed meeting rooms in our, in our libraries that people are able to come and use, whether it is for remote work or whether it's a social worker that needs to meet in a safe space with a client. But we also just recently created huddle spaces in our teen departments. Young people can get together, whether they're working together or whether they're just working independently, but, but together in, in a group of, of friends.
0: Yeah. I think from my own personal experience with the library, I mean, I guess this is something that every startup that offers the first month free knows is that it's like getting in the door the first time. I think for a lot of people to sort of understand that the library is there. I had a library on my block here in Philadelphia for years and I used the digital collections for my Kindle, but then I had a child and all of a sudden we were going to story time. It became that third space. It's raining. I want to get out of the house. I'm going to take this baby to the library And then as that child got older, we're going to take out stacks of books. We're going to, you know, our collection is just going to be a churn from the library. And then I started using it as an adult, like getting books from there, using it to print, using it for all these other reasons. But it was really about just getting across the threshold and making it part of my life. What are some things you guys do to draw people in for that sort of initial contact?
2: I used to do outreach a lot and getting people into the library was always our goal. So most of my time was spent out of building right? So you go to where people are. I think you encourage the the library as a welcoming, accessible, open space. It's just getting in through the door that first time and making sure that that first initial experience that first interaction you have is a positive one where you feel welcomed where it feels like this is your space your third space right not just a space that you're visiting but like a space that you can build community with a space where you can grow a space where you can enrich yourself you want the person to feel invested and a part of the library not just sort of going in and out you never know when the person's first time in a library is going to be yeah. so you just want to make sure that every interaction is a good positive one
0: So what do you do to make sure that happens?
2: I just, I mean, honestly, I make sure I greet people. I introduce myself. I have a name tag. People know my name is John. They always know who they're talking to. They know that there's a person, which is great and bad. If I make a mistake, then they know exactly who (laughs) did it. But like, I think just really just basic customer service stuff, just smiling and being welcoming and listening, you know, and people are going to have different needs. And sometimes they're going to have the same need repeatedly through the day and you just want to make sure you, fe- you you hear that need like it's the first time like everyone has difficulty printing for the first time you're going to hear that question often but you just, you don't want to make it seem like it's a question you're tired of hearing that question comes it's a new question and you're going to fix it for them
0: well linda it was interesting because we recorded a podcast a few years ago and actually we're talking a little bit about Reading and about the immigrant communities there and one of the points that our guest made was that for a lot of immigrants institutional buildings can be very intimidating and that these buildings can sometimes not feel like a space that they have access to. Are there any special things you guys do to try to, you know, get everyone in the door?
1: We absolutely do. Well first of all, we we make some intentional changes that we hope have some impact. Some as simple as taking our security guard and changing his apparel from a uniform to a logoed golf shirt, for example. (laughs) But one of the main initiatives we've done is to have programming outside on our steps. And, um, and hopefully people will come in afterwards. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't, but it's really humanizing the building. So we do a lot of programs that have some application to the, to the cultures that we're serving in our city. We're having a program in October where we're having a, a photography show of young residents in our city And we're also going to be taking those photographs and putting them on to the the sides of the um, light with lighting, putting them on to the sides of our building during the evening, just making the building an interesting, accessible place.
0: You're listening to We Are Here from Keystone Edge, produced in partnership with PA Humanities, which believes in putting people first. Their work champions the humanities across Pennsylvania. Centering growth, equity, and community as a pathway to positive, lasting change. Learn more at pahumanities.org. So, okay. So this podcast at the end of the day is also really wants to talk about the humanities and how the humanities helps bring people together. Is there any specific programming that you would like to talk about at your library that really integrates these principles around the humanities with community and connection.
2: I generally organize a lot of board game events. I think libraries tend to focus more on the educational and the enriching and a little less on the, on the play aspect, especially with, with adults, right? Like after you hit a certain age, Right, it's all business. Um, yeah, once you move out of like the youth services area of the library, it becomes a lot more like somber. So I do think having adults build a community around play is is very important, and I think it's always been some of the more enriching programs that I've had at libraries. You get a a, a wide diversity of people coming in to play. You get people who are really invested in the programming. Uh, you get people who are maybe there just one or two times, or you get get a person who maybe visits one time and they're not interested in it, but like, it's constantly dynamic.
0: Any specific board games? Where do you find out?
2: I, I, have a, I have a circulating board game collection, so Ticket to Ride, Carcassonne, those sort of games, Catan, and I'll teach and feature one at a board game night. So everyone, no matter what their experience playing stuff, can, can learn a thing and be involved. And generally, after a couple of weeks, you sort of build everyone's sort of gaming literacy so that they're able to come in and pick out a game they know that they like and teach other people. And it's a nice little chain reaction.
0: Yeah, and they can all become cutthroat Catan players. And you, know. I, you
2: know what? I try to, I try to encourage everyone to play exactly how they feel. Some people are cutthroat. Some people play cooperative games.
0: Yeah, and then, so you're saying circulating. So can people also take games out of the library and bring them home?
2: Yes, we have a circulating collection of about 60 games, and they circulate just like anything else.
0: Well, there's something, I mean, I think a lot of these questions are about, you know, in an increasingly digital world, what does the library look like? And I think that's a perfect example of something a library can offer that goes beyond books, you know, especially if people are reading more and more on e-devices.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to have a little a little less screen time and a little bit more time across the table with with living people,
0: I'll pick up on
1: one thing that John said, and and we have an intergenerational chess club, and boy, does that serve marvelous purposes for both the youth and the adults who are a part of that. But in terms of, of a little bit non traditional, within the past year or so, we started a book club called For the Culture that focuses on authors of color and and less represented authors and stories. We have family cooking classes, and, and they're, they're, again, a lovely way to introduce culture in into our patron community. We're going to be starting a discussion about banned books, but it's really going to be a discussion that takes banned books and talks about some of the reasons, whether we agree or, of course, probably don't, why they're being banned. In this case, we have a member of the LGBTQ community who's going to be helping lead those first few discussions because so many of the of the banned selections are banned for those reasons and so I think that I think we play an extremely important role in addressing all of the divides in our communities
0: I would like to talk a little bit more about the pandemic you talked about the increased demand for digital collections but is there been anything else you've learned over the last two plus years about what people want from a library or how the library can continue to evolve.
2: I mean, I think a lot of people, especially post lockdown, when our doors open back up, people, again, were very excited about engaging with like the social aspect of the library again. Right. And that's what they missed. And even when I I know most libraries have done some amount of like uh, virtual programming and that helps. But, you know, once you're able to be in a room with other people, I think, I mean, and that's where I heard most of the support for the library, right? Once you're able to be back in like a community room doing a program, like my board game night came back and we had people who were like nearly in tears, which was great just because they were so happy to see other people again and to be doing a thing that they were doing previously. Um, and I think it feels a different way than, than doing stuff virtually, but the virtual stuff also fills a need that we've seen continue, like we have uh, chair yoga virtually, and that has not uh, decreased at all. In fact, I think I I still think interest is increasing in it. And we're getting more and more people interested in both virtual and in-person yoga.
1: That's the one thing that comes to my mind as well, is that one of the things we learned is that there is a place um, for reaching more people through virtual programming, and we don't want it to go away entirely. And what I thought of is our, is our virtual yoga. <laughs> we also did nighttime yoga for families to quiet down at the end of the night, and that was hugely popular. So I think one of the things we learned is that there's a place for both and that we hopefully can do both successfully.
2: We, we did a lot of virtual author talks throughout the pandemic It was great because we were able to get authors we wouldn't ordinarily be able to get in person, now virtually, and it was very popular throughout the the pandemic.
1: Our reference librarians, I think, are spending even more time with our patrons than they perhaps did before the pandemic because of some of the needs of our patrons. So whether it's helping them use devices or whether it's helping them get on the internet to look for a job or whether it's filling out a job application – We've added some assistance to our reference staff because our reference librarians are playing um, a really a deeper and more personal role as the needs of COVID have in, have increased in our in our particular population.
0: And so, how are people hearing about all this amazing programming? Is it through social media? Is it through flyers? Is it through a bulletin board? You know, what are the ways in which? I mean, I can't believe I just got to hear a librarian shush someone on the call. It's like iconic. It's amazing. We don't. But I'm trying to keep the background quiet here. <laughs> you have yeah, to live up to the only,
2: Librarians only shush other librarians. We it's a rule. I use Meetup and Discord a lot for my okay. virtual programming. Uh, Meetup I love. It, it will push programs out to people new in the community. Um, I think it does a great job of getting people who have never been in the library or have um, just come into the area and they haven't made their first visit yet and get them engaged with programming. It also provides uh, a way of having like a little mini community, right? Like ordinarily, when you sign up for a library program, you sign up for you RSVP, you get a confirmation and that's about it. I love the way Meetup has threaded conversations and you're able to like RSVP and then talk. And I just get people who are coming to the program talking about the program beforehand and it's wonderful.
1: We have strong community partners and we use them very actively. So whether it's the school district or the Boys and Girls Clubs or the Recreation Department or the Salvation Army, we have a number of, of social agencies that are very close to our library and we depend upon those community partners. Certainly we use flyers and social media, but it is the uh, partnerships with other members of the community that help us spread the word.
0: And can you talk specifically about this money that you got through the PA Sharp grants and how you're using that to you know, increase connection with the humanities and with the library?
2: So I developed the board game collection okay. um, and it cool. was very interesting because I wanted the focus to be more on marginalized and diverse voices. We have games that are designed from all over. The representation feels really good. Most of these board games came out of, like, I think Germany, right? Like Catan and everything. So, yeah. but like, I mean, they're being developed and published everywhere. Uh, we try to find games that are new, but also not too difficult to sort of jump into if you've never played something like this before.
0: Any specific uh, games you want to call out that people should be on the lookout for?
2: Oh, there's, there's so many. That's such a hard question. There's a game called Rap Gods that I love. And it's from a, a small publisher. You start as a fledgling rapper as you're sort of building your, you know, awareness and everything as, as, you, as you grow. And it's really, it's a great game.
0: Linda, how about you? How are you guys using these funds? We
1: used our funds to develop artists in residence during the summer at our four libraries. So we had artists in residence certain times of the, of the week. We had watercolor illustration, videography, po- a poet, mask making. They were there working as an artist in residence would, and available for patrons to join in with them. They always had additional supplies so that uh, at any point in time they would work with whoever wanted to work with them, as well as giving more formal classes. And it was it was marvelous. It was quite de- quite delightful. And as part of that, we also developed an art wall at one of our branches for art shows. And we'll continue to use that
0: for art shows
1: from local artists and -and up-and-coming artists.
0: Okay. It's time to look into your crystal ball. As we keep mentioning, we're an increasingly digital world. What is the future of the library? What does a library look like in 20, 25 years? And how does it remain vital? And how does it retain its status as a community hub when people maybe aren't taking as many things home with them?
1: What's interesting for me, particularly as a fundraiser, is that I believe that we are seen as more of a pillar of this community than we were five years ago. I don't see the question of being relevant or or vital as particularly a question at all. We clearly have become more community centers, but we have the need to bring people of different economic and different ages together we have the ability to do it it's a perfect space to do that I think it's hard to look too far in the future but what I think it is we are able to do well is continue to meet each important need as we see coming along John mentioned loaning out hotspots. that's something that we're just beginning to do now it's a new program for us We're developing a maker space in our teen loft as something that our teens requested. I don't know that I can look too far in the future except to say that if we meet the needs as the community presents themselves to us, we'll continue to be more important than ever.
2: I totally agree with the difficulty in predicting 25 years in the future of what libraries <laughs> will look like, but I, I do think libraries will continue to thrive as long as they sort of pay attention and listen to what their community needs, right? And I, I mean, I think circulating print material and like story times, that stuff is always going to be central to, to a library. Like, I don't think they're going to go away, but I do think we're going to start adding more things to it, like having those workspaces more available, right like having more space for people to meet having more space for people to communicate i think those are all going to be things that increase in 25 years
0: right it's like the library the original co-working space
2: yeah yeah oh absolutely yes
0: yeah. you were doing it before it was cool <laughs> and apparently you both emphasized that there's no more shushing in the library right
2: i i don't i don't think
0: don't you use
2: that? <laughs> I don't think there's any expectation of quiet in a library anymore. I really don't. I mean, well, I mean I think that's it's... the
0: stereotype, but you think yeah, that's really yeah. changed?
2: Definitely. Uh, we definitely have areas in the library where people are encouraged to talk and socialize, right? Um, and we do have some places where maybe quiet is a little bit more expected. We have a few study areas and stuff, right? But it's not just a monolith. People are coming in with different needs. So I think a library can, you know, meet each of those needs.
1: I do get tickled sometimes because people continue to if I'll meet people, you know, for a tour for some other reason, they'll continue to think they have to be very quiet. (laughs) It is um, (laughs) a a stereotype that's not easily broken.
0: (laughs) That's it for the third episode of We Are Here. If you have thoughts on the conversation you just heard or ideas for what we should cover in upcoming episodes, please visit our website, KeystoneEdge.com or reach us via our social channels at Keystone Edge on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time. Funding for We Are Here comes from PA Humanities and its federal partner, the National Endowment for the Humanities, as part of the American Rescue Plan Act of
2: 2021.